Okay, we are in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. And we're going to start reading in Acts chapter 16 from verse 6. Let me just remind us where we've been, that in Acts chapter 16, remember Paul and Silas had gone north from Syrian Antioch, and they were going around uh, by land, and they had set out to share with the different churches and encourage them. And they went to Derbe and to Lystra, and then they went to Iconium. But then they planned to go into Asia Minor, which was a region in which they had preached previously, and that's what they had originally set out to do. Asia Minor is our present-day Turkey, and on their way, there was a change of plans. And the plan wasn't so much from their perspective, but God's perspective. So that's where we're picking up in verse 6 of Acts chapter 16. They passed through through the Phrygian and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And after they came to Mysia, they were trying to go to Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. And passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. Now, we have this portion where a little bit about the geography that they were, that they were traveling on has been talked about. But we never get really a picture of how deep this really is. So let's, let's think about this. Remember, they had gone and they had visited three of the cities where, they had, where Paul had been to previously. In three of the cities, they were able to share. But they, they probably wanted to go. The next city in the circuit was, was uh, uh, Pisidian Antioch. A very big church was there and a very big work had started there on their first trip. Before they could get into that region, because they had just passed through the Phrygian and Galatian region, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit, it says in verse 6, to speak the word in Asia. They were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. So they were just coming into Asia Minor, and they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word. I thought the Holy Spirit wants us to speak the Word. I thought that's the whole idea. That we go and we speak the Word. The Spirit of God forbode them from speaking the Word in Asia. And so they came to Mysia and were trying to go into Bithynia. So they couldn't speak the Word in this entire region of Asia Minor. And so what they did is they started moving, from your perspective, they, they come up from Syria, Antioch, they come around and, and they, they go into Cilicia and they start ministering to three churches and then all of a sudden they're about to enter Asia Minor and they're not permitted to speak a word in Asia Minor. So what they have to do is they have to start going north. And they start going north, and it says they came to Mysia, and they were trying to go into Bithynia. So they tried to go up into Bithynia, and it says, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. And then passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. So I looked at the mileage. 
from the last city that they had spoken in, Iconium, to Troas. As the crow flies, it was 250 miles. The way they had to go, so as the crow flies, it would be right through Asia. But we know they didn't do that. They went north, tried to go into Bithynia. They were forbidden from going into Bithynia. And so they go all the way across to Troas. The route that they followed was around 350 miles. You look at the route, it's totally mountainous. It's these mountains of, of Turkey. So they pass through this mountain. And so Luke is just, you know, just like a bullet point reporter. They pass through the Phrygian and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And after they came to Mysia, they were trying to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. And passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. You know, it sounds like they're going on a stroll. It sounds like they're just, you know, walking from, from here down the block. We're talking about 350 miles through the mountains. How long does this take? So say they travel 10 miles a day by foot. You're talking about 35 days. But it probably was much, more than t- much less of a travel than 10 miles a day going through the regions that they were going. Even if they were walking along a road, it was all mountainous roads. This was difficult passage. And the Word of God just snaps us right through this thing. Boom, 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 boom. They ended up at Troas. Oh, that's convenient. What is going on during this time? Where the Lord is having them wait. I thought, Lord, I thought you wanted Paul and Silas to speak. And remember, Timothy's with them. I thought you, you wanted them to speak. I thought that's the whole idea. We go out to preach your word. Didn't we set out? Didn't we set out, even with our church's blessing, to go out and to witness the word of God in these churches? And Asia, Asia Minor was a large portion in which we had set out to share. And now you're forbidding us to speak the word, let alone visiting the synagogues and encouraging the churches. We can't even speak the word of God in Asia. The Holy Spirit forbid them to, to speak the word in Asia. They could not share in all of Asia. So it was so dramatic that they couldn't even cut through Asia. There was nothing. They had to go around. So they go up north. They think, okay, we'll move into Bithynia. And so they go up. And then it says in Bithynia, the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them to go into Bithynia. What's going on? God is doing something in their lives. Let's get a little glimpse of what might have been happening during this time period. Some of the things that that Paul was going through and and Silas were going through during this time period. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul is recounting some of the things that he went through on his missionary journeys. I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, this is where he's recounting some of the things that he went through. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I'm more so. In far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. 
Now reading 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the cities, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Apart from such things, from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Okay, so Paul, in one paragraph, sums up his missionary journeys. If you look in verse 27, it says that I've been in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. You can't go through those mountains without being really cold. And remember, they didn't intend on going in that direction. So they probably weren't equipped with the best, you know, ballistic nylon backpacks and the best boots. And, and, but they're ending up going through these mountains around Asia for probably months before they get around to Troas. This is difficult. Walking with God is not necessarily easy. These guys were really very much in the will of God. These were apostles going out in the will of God. And their life becomes difficult and hard. Walking with God is not necessarily easy. And it would be easy to say, well, you know, if they had really followed God's will and listened to the Holy Spirit in the first place, this wouldn't have happened to them. Wrong. They were very much walking with God. But the scriptures don't belabor the point. They just tell us that they were going through an awful lot. Walking with God is never easy. They had great successes on the first missionary journey. They were encouraging all the churches in the first cities they they had visited on their second missionary journey. But all of a sudden, boom! The Holy Spirit forbid them to speak the word of God in Asia. The Spirit of Jesus did not permit them to go into Bithynia. He just says, keep going, guys. You're not coming in here. He did not permit them. They tried to go in. I don't know how He did not permit them. I don't know if it was border guards. I have no idea how He kept them from speaking the word of God in Asia. The word of God does not elaborate. If it was a vision, if they heard something, or or if just nothing worked. Or if authorities came and said, you know, if you speak a word here, we'll cut out your tongues. I have no idea how it was done, but it was done. Difficult to walk with Jesus. Difficult to walk even in His will. So this idea of if we are in His will, the doors will just open before us. Just walk. The doors are open before me if I'm in His will. Not necessarily so. One day the doors may be open, the next day they may be be sealed shut, totally sealed shut. But you don't see Paul complaining about this. I would have complained. 
But you don't see Paul complaining. It says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Be imitators of me, Paul said, just as I am also of Christ. The Scriptures put before us that we are to be imitators of Paul. Paul was not complaining. We don't see Luke reporting wonder. Paul wasn't wondering, Lord, what are you doing? Lord, you must be confused here. I mean, that's what regular people do. Paul was not complaining. There was all this stuff going on. And there are things that hit us in life that we just don't understand. And Paul kept going on. He tried this, he tried that, but he didn't sit there and stew either. And just say, well, fine. I think I'll just sit here and fall down on the ground and cross his legs Indian style and say, fine. If the Lord doesn't want me to go on, if He doesn't want me to speak the Word of God in Asia, I think I'll just sit here and hold my breath until He opens the door. He didn't do that either. He kept trying. He kept exploring. Well, maybe, maybe He wants us to go north. Let's start heading north. If we head north, we can go around Asia, because He's not letting us speak in Asia. Let's go up, into, uh, up by Mysia in, in, into Bithynia. They get to Bithynia and, eh, door closed. Well, maybe, maybe I should just turn around and go back. Maybe this whole Christian thing isn't for me after all. No, he kept going on. Okay, he doesn't want us speaking the word of God in Asia. doesn't want us going to Bithynia. Let's just continue on. If we go over these mountains another few hundred miles, we'll hit Troas. We'll be right at the Aegean Sea. And he continued on. Look at what the Word of God does. It tells us, it shows us that there was a long region that they went through. Probably this is what Paul was speaking about during his times of cold and exposure. Often without food. Not one night without food, but often without food. In cold and exposure. In dangers of rivers. Think about all the rivers they had to cross. Dangers from my countrymen. Dangers from robbers. All of these things happening because there's just the three guys. This is not an army traveling. It's just the three of them. You know, just three people, it's pretty easy to get robbed even today in the wrong place. I was once walking through Central Park at night with two other professors from... from, um, a university in, in New York and, and uh, Brooklyn Polytechnic. And after dinner, they said, let's take a stroll through, through Central Park. And I'm from New York, and I know you, it's generally not good to go walking through Central Park at night. But, you know, here I was their guest. And so we start walking through Central Park. And the most delightful people weren't there. And as we're walking, I look behind me and I see a few guys starting to follow us from behind. And we turn the corner and they turn the corner. And I'm thinking, oh Lord, we're about to get robbed here. And I said, Father, protect us, I pray. Send your angels. Then about 60 seconds later, these bright lights come from behind those guys. And there's this, this Chevy Blazer with five New York City cops sitting in it that start following behind us. And so we could get out of Central Park. They probably realized that, you know, these goofballs don't need to be here in Central Park. We'll follow behind them till they get out. 
And that, to me, was God's angels protecting us. So you got three men, even in this day, can be going and, and going in the wrong place. Imagine in that day, in constant danger, there are doors that shut in front of us. We don't know why. There are times that we can't explain it. There are difficult times in Christian life that are just summarized in a sentence in the Scriptures. And then Paul mentions it in one paragraph what he went through on all his missionary journeys combined. But here, he's saying, look, this was a difficult time. You don't always get the opportunity to share. There are going to be times you go out on a mission trip and you'll have all these expectations, like all these people are going to get saved. And nobody gets saved, but you end up getting arrested. And people will judge you as well. You know, if you'd really gone with God, if you were really anointed, it wouldn't have gone like that. You don't know that. Maybe this was God's will. Obviously, this was God's will for them to go through those mountains. It probably knit their hearts together really quite closely. Because when you go through real troubles together, as as a small group of people, it really knits your hearts together. Maybe He was doing a work in their hearts spiritually. We're just not given the details. But we don't see them doubting. We don't see them spitting. We don't see them complaining. This, to them, seems like normal Christian life. There are times of success. There are times of hardship. There are times the doors are closed. There are times the doors are opened. You know, something happened on uh, uh, just this past week. I traveled to, to Washington, D.C. With, um, with four of my students to go and uh, present at a, at a small meeting. And I have to be particularly careful with my graduate students how I share. And the reason for that is that the, with the graduate students, I hold the key to their graduation. If I don't sign off on their thesis, they don't graduate. I also hold the key to their getting their jobs. If I don't write them a good letter, they don't get their job. So imagine my sharing with them and bringing them to a point of decision. Imagine the type of differential of power there could be that they would feel. So what I do is I'll talk about the Lord, sometimes what the Lord's doing in my life. But I have to be very careful about how I speak to them because it's just not appropriate for me to do this when there's that type of different control. It's much easier for me to share with students who are not in my class, who are not under my control. And I think that there's some balance that we have to have in that. But here we are, on the, and we're, we're coming in, we're in Baltimore Airport on the way back, and one of the four students is a believer. And we were waiting online to go through security, and there was a young lady, not of our party, on the cell phone. And she was saying, she was talking to somebody, and she said, I was really humbled by that action. And I turned to the student who was with me, and I said, that girl right there is a Christian. She said, how do you know that? I said, because she just said on the cell phone, I was humbled by that. I said, the only person who will say that is a believer. Because unbelievers all think that they're really pretty good. That there's no need for them to be humbled by a certain situation. And, and, uh, uh, and the girl who had said it on the phone was impressed by a situation that she, you know, she was talking about. She said, and I was humbled by that, by their actions. And so, 
I was explaining to this believer in my party that if there's a group of students and I say, how many of you are trying to change your lives for the better? It'll be the Christians in that group who raise their hand. Because as believers, we're often put before this image of Jesus Christ. And we want to improve because He is our image of where we're supposed to be. We're to be imitators of Christ. Unbelievers don't raise their hand to this. And then she looked at me, she smiled, she says, well, maybe she is. So anyway, so then we're, we get through security and I see this girl again and she's still on the cell phone. And so I tapped her on the shoulder while she was on the cell phone and said, excuse me, I just want to confirm, you are a Christian, aren't you? She looked at me, she says, yes. And then I turned back to my party and the other three students in my party were looking at me like, how did you know that she was a Christian and what would make you ask that? It looked very strange to them. Well, anyway, we got to our gate and we're standing there and then this young lady who I had tapped on the shoulder was now off the cell phone and she comes running up to me. She says, why did you ask me if I was a Christian? I said, because I heard you say that you were humbled by a certain situation and only people who have the Spirit of God working in their hearts feel that they need to be humbled by situations so that they can be made better. I said, you are a Christian, aren't you? She says, oh yes. I said, we're... And then she just started overflowing with the Holy Spirit. Just about what God was doing in her life. She's a student at Shenandoah University at this the Shenandoah College in, in Virginia. And I said, oh yeah, I've been there. I've been to Winchester, Virginia. And da, da, da. She, She's going on about this and just... And, and I'm blessing her in the name of the Lord. And she's blessing me back. And we're having this conversation... And my students are standing there wondering, how does this guy have a relationship with this young lady that he just met under these circumstances? And they're talking like they're old friends. But you understand how that can happen when the Spirit of God is within somebody. And so as my students are standing there just in disbelief, then finally the girl goes away and I bless her and say, God bless you. And she, you know, I give her my cards and check out my website and all this stuff. And my students are just, their jaws are dropping. How could this happen? Then I start to explain to them how when the Spirit of God is within someone and that Spirit witnesses that there's another person there with the Spirit, all of a sudden their spirits are united. And as they're standing there just wondering, the one girl who's a believer, her eyes are just big and she's beaming. The other three students are standing there just like, I thought this was now my opportunity because they were wondering from me how this happened. And so I talked about my testimony, how God had entered my life when I was 18, the change that had occurred, how I'd been delivered from something that I was in real bondage to at the time, namely pornography, how God broke me that day of that, how the anger, which was so much in my heart as a teenager, was so greatly suppressed after that point, so greatly done away with after that point, how the Spirit of God, when it filled my heart and how it occurred to me in, 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 in my dorm room, how I had bowed my knee before Jesus and said, yes, I am a sinner. Come into my life. And I was all alone and I started to weep because His presence was in my room. And then I talked about His progression through my career. And for 20 minutes, my four students stood and we stood in a circle and I explained to them the Scriptures and how reading the Scriptures, what it's done in my life. Finally, what I had been forbidden to talk about because of the situation. They wanted to know because they saw something. A door was opened. 
And for 20 minutes, I was able to share with them. God had finally opened a door in an appropriate situation where I could do this because I had been praying that God would open more opportunities for me to openly share with them in a way that's non-threatening where they're asking me. God opens doors in His time. Sometimes they're closed because of certain situations. But if we pray for openness, He opens them. There are difficulties that occur in Christian life that sometimes keep us from getting into areas that we hope we can get into. You may have on your heart, well, when I graduate, you know, I'm going to get this and this type of job, and this and this is going to happen. You don't know that that's going to happen. You don't know what the economy is going to be like the day you graduate. You don't know if things are going to close up. But that doesn't mean that you've somehow fallen out of God's will. You could very much be in God's will. And He has you in a period of waiting. He has you in a period where it's cold and exposure and dryness and thirst and many days of hunger. It could be. It could be that that's what's going to happen. We don't know. And we're to not lose heart. Paul says, be imitators of me as I also imitate Christ. There are things and experiences that God brings you through. Look at Joseph and Mary. Joseph and Mary were led by difficult circumstances to Bethlehem. God wanted these babies, this baby Jesus born in Bethlehem according to His Scriptures. What did He do? He had a, a heathen king proclaim a census, and so everybody had to go to their hometown. Mary is in her ninth month, greatly pregnant, and she has to go down to Bethlehem. Couldn't God have spoken to Joseph in, say, Mary's second month? Said, you know, you better get down to, to Bethlehem now. I'm not going to give you all the details, but just to save you a little trouble, get to Bethlehem now. Because when women are pregnant... There's lots of things that go through them, and it's difficult. And it's difficult for their husbands, too. <laughs> and imagine she's having to, to waddle on down from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And then when they get there, there's no room for them. And they have to stay in a barn. Couldn't God have prepared it so they'd gotten down there a little bit earlier and at least had room in the inn? Or couldn't God have made it so at least there was room in the inn where the innkeeper would say, oh yeah, by the way, yeah, I'm sorry she's pregnant. Yeah, I have one extra room. Oh, thank God. Obviously God is with No, there's no extra room here. Go! And Joseph's like, sir, look at my wife. Oh. Well, the barn, down there. You can go stay in the barn. I mean, that's it. Christian life Walking in the will of God is not always necessarily easy. This is what we see here. This is the picture of what's before us. Okay, now look in verse 9 of Acts chapter 16. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. When he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. 
So putting out to sea from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and on the day following to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, of, of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony, and we were staying in this city for some days. <clears throat> okay, so all of a sudden, if you look up in verse 6, it says, They passed through the Phrygian and Galatian region. They did. In verse 7, and after they came to Mysia. In verse 8, they came down to Troas. And in verse 10, when he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia. In verse 10, somewhere around in Troas, Paul, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Luke, the writer, joins them. And everything switches to we now. So he meets them somewhere around this Troas region. And everything switches to we until we get to later on in the book of Acts and it switches to they because Luke stays back. And then we're given explanation of this in the epistles. So now Luke, the writer of, the, of this book, is now with them. And so you switch, you, you switch to this. So now it's four men traveling together. It's, it's Paul, Silas, Timothy, the young man, and Luke, the physician, who is also the, the gospel writer, Luke, according to Luke, and the book of Acts writer. And so it says, in, in, they came down to trust. Now, trust is right there on the Aegean Sea. So they went all the way around Asia Minor. They get down to, to the Aegean Sea at Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him. So how does he know it's a man of Macedonia? Probably by his dress. There was something that gave it away that this man is from Macedonia. I mean, maybe he was wearing a sign. Hello, my name is so-and-so from Macedonia. But something gave it away in the vision. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. So Paul sees a vision in the night. It's different than a dream. A dream, you're asleep. A vision, it occurred in the night, but Paul was very much awake. And he sees a vision of a man saying, come to Macedonia and help us. And in verse 10, and when he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So they concluded that God was now calling them to preach the gospel. God was now opening the door. The conclusion was this. So in other words, they used their mind to couple with the vision. There was a conclusion that was reached. They didn't just say, oh, let's go to Macedonia because of this vision. Boom, no. They concluded that God was calling them to Macedonia. They concluded. It was not just Paul. It was the conclusion of the whole party based on what Paul saw. Do you see the difference? We could have a dream and say, God is calling me to divorce my wife. Because in my dream I divorced my wife. Well, that would probably be a bad conclusion. Because we know specifically from the scriptures, we're not to do that type of thing. That God never condones divorce. He, in fact, it says He hates it. So, coupled with what we might see, with what we might perceive, there has to be some mind put into this and some community put into this. It wasn't just Paul that made this decision. Paul had the vision. But it was they concluded. So they said, yeah, 
here we are in Troas. We have no other direction. We've been going for 350 miles. We've hit this first city. And all of a sudden, this is the first inkling that we have of God wanting to now use us again. And, and, and so they're saying to Paul, okay, Paul, what, what did he look like? Well, he was dressed like a Macedonian. I don't know how Macedonians dress, but they must have known. Or something looked Macedonian about him. So they said, yes, maybe God is calling. So they concluded this. So there was their mind put into this too. We can't just go solely on visions because I'll tell you, we can hear and see all sorts of things that we want to hear and see. I am very, very good at this. You know, I want something to happen and I can pray and in my mind's eye I can see that happening. That may or may not be of God. That could be of my mind. I have a very creative mind. I really do. You know, if, if, if I want to, I can close my eyes and see myself surrounded by money. I'm doing it right now. Is there, therefore, God's will. And that's why I really loved what, what uh, uh, Roger was sharing today in the service when he said that, that uh, uh, a vision is a picture of what could be driven by what should be. And so there are things that, that, that need some sort of conclusion put to them. And they concluded this. So their minds weren't separate from them. And so they... When they concluded that God had called them to preach the gospel in Macedonia, immediately they set out. There was an immediate act of obedience. They were in a position where they could immediately set out. A lot of times you may be given a sign or something and you conclude something that's not just your conclusion, but the church community agrees with you, that your brethren agree with you, but you're not in the position to immediately set out. Well, then you can start making plans on it. You can't immediately set out sometimes because you're already in school. And you can't go on this mission trip till you graduate. And I don't know many, in fact, I don't know anybody who has quit school in the middle, middle just to go off on missions. Maybe God does that with some people, but I would be really cautious about that. Um, so, it says in verse... In verse uh, 11, So putting out to sea from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and on the day following to Neapolis. And so they, they, they go by this, this small island in the Aegean Sea, and then from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia. So it was not the capital city of Macedonia. Macedonia was separated into something like five districts. Philippi was the leading city of one of those districts. And Philippi was, was actually, a, and, it, and it says, uh, a Roman colony. So Philippi was a, a um, Roman colony. Just, just as, I think there were seven Roman colonies, where if you were born in that city, even though it was not in Italy, you were considered a Roman. Paul was born in Tarsus, which is very far away from Italy. But that made him a Roman because Tarsus was a Roman colony. Philippi was a Roman colony. It was under Roman law, and those born in it were Romans. And so there were just 
something like seven cities that had uh, 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 that were called Roman colonies, which cities really enjoyed having that because you had full Roman protection, full Roman rights. And so that's very convenient to have those rights, uh, even though you're not part of the, the, the mainland area. And, and then it says, And we were there staying in the city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to a riverside where we were supposing that there would be a place of prayer. And we sat down and began speaking to the women assembled. So as was Paul's common practice, and this matches up with what he said in Romans, that the gospel is first to the Jew. First to the Jew. First to the Jew. Every city he went to, he went first to the Jew. So it was on the Sabbath day. There was not enough of a Jewish population to have a synagogue. If you don't have ten men, you can't have a synagogue. And so then they went from there and they went to the riverside because Jewish practice always was when you don't have enough Jews for a a synagogue, what you do is you meet by a quiet place by a river and have a prayer meeting. And that's where they met and that's where they saw the women. We'll pick it up there next week. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your scriptures Thank you, Lord, for the word of God. And I pray, Lord, that you would so cause us to walk as Paul walked. That even though we go through trials, even though we go through times where we're wondering why we can't speak, why we can't break forth, Father, to remember that you are with us. In cold and exposure, you are with us. Father, thank you that no matter what Paul went through, The hardships were there, but there was not a complaint from his mouth. There was not a doubt from his mouth that you were with him. Father, thank you for the testimony of this man. Father, may we do as the scriptures say, may we imitate him as he imitates Christ. Father, thank you. And I pray for these young people that you would cause them to endure and to walk according to your ways. And I commit this to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.